Welcome to We The Podcast, the show about how the people outside of the billionaire and millionaire class, you know, most of us, engage the economy. Voter turnout in 2014 was the lowest since World War II. The lowest since Truman. Really low. And you know what? We all wonder why. Why in this oldest democracy in the world do we not have tremendous outpouring of people who want to vote and who do vote? You know, the question comes up. Do Americans see the value of voting? Do they believe that it won't help them or their families? Do they not have enough time are there just barriers in their way? In order to understand how voter turnout or the lack of voter turnout impacts everyday Americans, I talk with Dr. Theta Scotchpole, who has studied our political system and political institutions and how to bring change through the ballot box for decades. She had some insight on how this happened, who it affects, and how we can increase civic participation. Dr. Scotchpole, you've been working on issues of voter participation for quite some time. I wonder, can you talk a little bit about why the issue of voter participation is so important to the average working American? Sure. I mean, uh, the whole idea of democracy is that if a lot of citizens get together uh, and uh, vote for uh, representatives or for sometimes they, there might be a referendum on a, on a, on a bill or a policy, uh, that a large number of people can um, can make things happen, even though uh, very wealthy people or very powerful people don't want it to. So that's the whole theory behind democracy, and it works only if people uh, vote. And and I would also argue join groups with others. Um, yeah, could you elaborate on that? the importance of being in a group as opposed to just being some independent actor out there and how that actually can enhance your your political power by being part yeah, of it. Yeah, I mean, we call it civic participation, and actually that, I've done a lot of work on that throughout U.S. history. Uh, every, every, <laughs> if we go all the way back to the time when America was a brand-new nation and the French aristocrat Alexis de Tocqueville visited here, he – observed that Americans are highly likely to form voluntary groups, just groups of citizens that do things in their community um, or band together. He and others were impressed in the 19th century by Americans who could band together in groups that might have a local unit, but they participated at the state level and the national level. Well, in a way, that's a political party, but it's not just political parties. I mean, church groups have done that, uh, moral crusades, uh, veterans associations, farmers groups, uh, unions for workers. And that kind of participation, um, first of all, it makes a big difference in what governments do because governments will, the, the elected representatives will listen to those groups. And it also makes it easier to vote because when, it, when an election time comes around, um, 
these groups usually urge their members to turn out to vote. Yeah, because they can cost, they can help people uh, do a bunch of things that helps them be more effective citizens. What'd you say? Yeah, it helps. The, it, first, first, first of all, it's fun to be part of a group, and that that makes a difference. And, and but the groups can also kind of inform their members uh, which candidate has a sensible platform. Uh, they can um, uh, hold meetings where people become aware of the public issues. That's an old American tradition, and and so uh, being part of groups in between elections is part of what makes people want to vote during elections, and what makes it easier for them to to work together uh, to to bring about um, outcomes that help ordinary citizens. Well, you know, in 2014 we saw some record drops in American voter turnout. Yeah, I think we got down to about 33 percent or something like that. What? How come that happened? Well, we've got one of the biggest problems in American democracy right now that we've had in a long time. Um, citizens turn out to vote pretty well for presidential context, contests like when Barack Obama was elected and reelected, and probably next November we hope that a lot of people will will, will decide to go to the polls. Um, even so, the United States is below most other countries in the world. But in those midterm elections, the ones where the representatives, the senators, the congressmen are up, but not the president, um, mm -hmm. it falls by about half. And young yeah. people, are, in particular, um, are likely and minorities are likely to stay home. And that just um, let's just put it this way: it sort of undoes everything that happens in the presidential years. Because if you elect a president and then two years later you don't turn out to support Congress that'll work with that president, um, it's hard for government to get anything done. Well, what explains it, though? Is it just not as much hype, so people just don't know? Yeah, it is. We have very we have a lot fewer groups that people belong to that urge them to go a vote, and um, I'll get to some of the obstacles that affect some more than others in just a minute. But what over in a presidential election year, there's so much focus on that. There's so much in the media that mm -hmm. people sort of know about it. I mean, probably quite a few people are going to know that if it's Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, they're going to realize that next November. So that that kind of makes up for the fact that uh, they don't belong to a group that's urging them to go to the polls or that there are some difficulties getting there, say, on a work day. But those obstacles all come into play when, when you don't have all of the national hype that surrounds a presidential election. What's the trend line been for, for working working people? Well, lower-income people um, who work every day are the ones who are less likely to turn out in midterm mm -hmm. elections. And think about it. I mean, the biggest obstacle, I, I you know, I read a lot of, of research on this, and the biggest obstacle is really that in most states, I don't think it's true in Minnesota, but in most states, you have to register for, to vote on one day and then go to vote on another day. Right. So that's two separate things you have to do. And we know that that's one of the biggest roadblocks. Um, and in some states, um, the, the Republicans are making it very, very difficult these days for people to, to register to vote or to uh, get to the polls. They're canceling early voting days. They're uh, making sure that the polls aren't open very late after a work day. And, you know, many people, um, they have to go to their jobs on Election Day or they have uh, family members to take care of. 
Yeah, well, you know, according to the the Brennan Center for Justice said that since the beginning of 2015, there have been at least 113 bills that have been introduced in 33 states that require photo ID, reduce early voting, or make voter registration more difficult. But the other thing that Republicans did with their control of state governments is that they embarked on a nationwide binge to change voting rules. We've reported on this a lot on this show, but it, it's, it's not just a, a series of unconnected anecdotes and news stories, right? Since the, since the big Republican takeover in the states in 2010, 18 Republican-controlled states have changed the rules in those states to make it harder to vote. 18 states. And some of those are still being litigated. And we know that those laws, which have been passing in large numbers in recent years, are, are, making, are having an impact. They're making it less likely for young people, people of color, low-income people, and some very elderly people to vote. So it's making the non-participation problem, if you will, worse. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'll tell you another thing. While we're talking stats, you know, in 2012, uh, I found a statistic that said that 80% of the people who make more than 150000 a year voted, but only 36% of those earning less than 50000 voted. That's, that's, that's kind of important because um, it means that not only do wealthier people, no matter what their political ideas may be, not only are they in a position to donate to candidates and stuff like that, they actually vote more. And, yeah, uh, they do, and that's been true for a long time. Yeah. But it's getting worse. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, what does that mean for a policy agenda that might raise the minimum wage? Does this sort of participation problem impact outcomes? Uh, well, it probably is one of the things that does. Um, I'm a political scientist, and we have to try to nail these things down. Um, we know that um, elected representatives are more likely to do what, what wealthy people want than they are to do what middle-income or lower-income people want, and probably mm -hmm. the, that those differences in voter participation are one of the reasons, because politicians pay attention to people that they think might make a difference for their reelection. Yeah. And uh, voting is one of the things that could make a difference. Uh, it's not the only thing. I mean, money talks even apart from voting. But um, uh, it certainly uh, makes it harder to get those kinds of policies passed that would benefit so many people. And then a lot of people tell pollsters they would like to see happen, like raises yeah. in the minimum wage or sick pay. Um, or dealing with student debt. Right, well, see, the thing is, though, I mean, I think you're right. There's a lot of things that give uh, wealthier people uh, a, an outsized voice in our democracy. But the one thing that doesn't depend upon money so much is actual voting. I mean, there are costs to get documents to vote, and there are expenses associated with voting. Of course, missing work, you already mentioned that. But the truth is that walking up to that poll – and making your mark on that ballot is still free, you know. So right. that is that is something that ordinary regular people can do to sort of make things go their way. And if we don't have some kind of a, a you know some some way to get participation up, I mean, we're just losing power. Well, we know some things about what makes voting uh, more likely to happen for large numbers of people and makes it more equal. So uh, what are those things? Well, one is same-day voter registration so that um, the, the, you can register to vote and vote at the same time. Yep. We got that there, in Minnesota. 
you have that in Minnesota. Some other states have that, and those states have higher levels of participation. So yep. that's a that's a good one. And then another one that um, I've I've always been intrigued by is why don't we have uh, election day be a holiday? Now, right. It's true. A lot of people would like voting by mail or by uh, advanced voting days, and that's fine. But if Election Day is a holiday, then uh, everyone can treat it as sort of something you do with your neighbors or with a group you belong to to get get out and get to the polls. It can you can make it fun. Yeah. And that's the way they do it in Puerto Rico. Um, that's the way they did it in 19th century America, and that makes it a lot more likely that. Regular people with modest incomes and uh, uh, jobs that pay low wages will actually uh, get get out and vote if it's a, if it's a that, holiday. I think that's an awesome idea. We need to be pushing that. I think that's a great thing to do, and you know, we might need to get a bill to make voting a holiday. I'm sure this is not a new idea, but I think it's a wonderful idea because you mentioned it's something you do socially. And we yeah. happen to know, going back to your groups, about the research you've done on groups, is that we tend to be heavily influenced by our peers. And if everybody's mm-hmm. going to vote and you're not, you're like you're like the weirdo or something. Yeah, So, and besides, it also creates an opportunity to talk about the issues because there's a yeah. little bit of time that day. Uh, so I, a national voting holiday, especially at least every two years when we're having uh, midterm elections as well as the presidential elections, I think that would really make a difference. Sure, I think I think you're right about that. So another thing, you know, I wanted to ask you about is like, you know, here we're Americans and we kind of see the world through American eyes. But I mean, does it have to be this way? I mean, there's 33 percent in the midterm. Is, 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 is are all the other industrialized countries doing it this way, or are we an outlier? <laughs> no, people in other countries just can't understand. I mean, I'll give you an example. Some years back, I after uh, President Obama was elected, after the uh, he was elected, and then the, the Republicans got so many victories in 2010. I was giving a speech in Europe, and a large number of Danish people were there to hear my talk, which was about health care reform, and I couldn't figure out why they were all there. I thought, well, it's interesting that you know they're interested in this, but um, really, is this a, a big topic? We got to the question period, and I realized that what the people there wanted to know is how the same country could elect Barack Obama in 2008 and then elect all those right-wing Republicans two years later. And I looked out at the audience, and I said, well, you know, it's not really the same set of Americans who vote on those two occasions. This isn't like your country where people vote for a party and then everything follows from that, and, and they vote at much higher rates than we do mm-hmm. here in the United States. I said, you know, 60% of Americans voted for Barack Obama in 2008 and, or, or went to the polls and decided by a substantial margin for him, and, and only a half of them went back in 2010. Mm. So it's like having a different country making the decisions. So what explains the difference? I mean, what are they doing that we're not doing? What should we be doing that they are doing? Well, I don't know whether it's that easy. Most of them have parliamentary systems where you don't vote separately for the president versus the parliament. They're yeah. equivalent to Congress. So um, it's all one, one election there. We're not likely to make that kind of change here, but right. we could do all kinds of things to make voting more consistent. Well, like the uh, holiday idea, 
I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, I've often wondered why we have voter registration at all. I mean, well, I, yeah, and then the state of state of North Dakota got rid of it altogether, and that would be fine, especially given the kinds of records we have now. People could just be signed up to vote automatically uh, when they um, get their social security number or something, and um, they wouldn't have to separately register. But that would make a big difference. But, but here's a question for you. So the people who promote, you know, photo ID and want to reduce early voting and make registration more difficult, they're not doing that just to be doing that. They're no. doing that for a reason. There's some <laughs> very good are? research that nails down what we all know, really. <laughs> they're yeah. doing it to make certain groups of people, um, Democrats, less make it harder for them to vote. Mm-hmm. So um, there fraud that takes the form of a voter appearing um, to vote for someone else or voting twice, uh, that almost never happens. Yeah, imposter yeah. voting just doesn't happen. So the so the voter ID laws are uh, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And so a lot of social, social scientists have looked into what it is they really are doing, and they've showed that they are doing exactly what their sponsors Intent. They're making it harder for young people, um, minorities, low-income people to vote, and those are people who are likely to vote for Democrats. There's a UC San Diego study that found that strict photo ID laws might be expected to depress Latino turnout by 9.3 points and African American turnout by 8.6 points. Right, which is a lot. That's enough. That's enough to swing an election for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so and and that's the name of the game. I mean, um, we, you know, it, we, we, it seems to me that we've got to be much more on top of that kind of thing. I tell you, these photo ID laws, that issue did go in front of the Supreme Court, and they found, even though there was no evidence of voter suppression, as you already pointed, of voter imposter voting, as you mentioned, they still upheld that law in Indiana. So that's pretty. It actually, that law actually ended up. Stopping about twelve nuns from voting who were in their eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we may see a change in that over time because the evidence is now uh, raising real questions about what the Supreme Court justices thought when they upheld that. Yeah. I think there's more and more evidence that um, really these laws are just keeping people from voting rather than solving a problem. Uh, that and uh, so I think as the Supreme Court changes, or even as some existing justices. Ch- Look at the evidence again. They may change their minds, but that takes that takes time. Yeah, sadly, sadly. Well, you know, what are some of the consequences of declining voter participation? I mean, it, it feels like our democracy is just less vibrant. But what else happens? Well, it can be a sort of a self-reinforcing downward spiral, right? People don't vote very much, or don't necessarily vote predictably, and then. Uh, government stops responding to them. The elected people, the wrong people, get into office, so the people that are there don't necessarily think that the voters matter as much as the big donors do, and then that just increases people's cynicism about government. So mm-hmm. it's a kind of um, chicken and egg problem, and and it's not good for American society to have big challenges that we're all facing as a community, uh, like. Um, global warming or income yeah. inequality 
And there are things we could be doing about it through our democratically elected government, but the government isn't doing it. Well, yeah, that's that's a big danger because it increases public cynicism. And I I see that as a as a professor. I see that among college students. A lot yeah, of it's them, always, oh, what difference does this make? What yeah. difference does this make? It always breaks my heart a little bit when a young person is so cynical about the possibility for change. I'm like, come on, man. We need you to be hopeful and optimistic. <laughs> so does low participation affect both parties the same? Uh, well, it can. I mean, it's not a good thing for e- either party, and, and I, uh, and I want to say that uh, because I, ultimately I don't think it's a partisan issue. And if you look back over many, many decades, first one party, then the other, gets into this game of trying to suppress the vote or you mm-hmm. know, change the rules to make it hard because they think they're going to win if if fewer of the other party's supporters go to the polls. Mm-hmm. So this is a game that both sides have played throughout American history, but right now it's overwhelmingly very um, right-wing Republicans who are passing these laws that make voting harder. Um, yeah, well, who, I can tell you this. Who think they're going to benefit if fewer people go to the polls. Yeah, I can tell you this. If you expand the opportunity to vote, it does benefit both parties. In Minnesota, we have same-day voter registration, and we have had Republicans win. You might remember Governor Tim Pawlenty. I do remember, yeah. We've had independents win. You might recall Jesse Ventura. And now we have Governor Mark Dayton, who's a Democrat. I mean, we've had all three. So it doesn't necessarily hurt you. Yeah, and it's a it's it's an important issue for all of us, regardless of our party uh, beliefs, to 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 recognize it's central to democracy. We all are going to benefit if if all citizens are inspired to vote and if they can vote. So, um, I I think it's a, an important cause. In some ways, it's even more important than the cause of trying to get money out of politics. I think trying to get the voters into politics is is uh, is even more important. You know what? I think you're right. Dr. Scotch Pole, you've been really kind giving me a few minutes. I want to say thank you for all the great work you've done. You and people like Robert Putnam have been inspiring me for years, and I really am grateful for all the work you've done over the years. So this has been another edition of We The Podcast. Do us a favor, won't you? Rate, review, and subscribe to We The Podcast on iTunes. This episode of We The Podcast was produced by Abby Shanfield, Jamie Long, and Brett Morrow. Thank you, guys. Tune in next time for We The Podcast.